0: Such an inspiring song. Um, That inspires me as I'm about to share some news and the Mother's Day reflection. And the quartet was really amazing. Uh, I was sitting in the front row, so I couldn't tell how many tears were in the eyes. But I never called my mother mama, but I think that's a better term. I love that. I'm Douglas Jacoby, and I'll be giving the message today. As you can see, uh, Asia Report, because I just got back from Indonesia uh, a few days ago. And so I would like to share just a little bit. First, to make good on my promises, I gave everyone your greetings, but I wanted to send you greetings from Guangzhou, China, from Yangon, Myanmar, and from Batam, which is in Indonesia. And I'll share just a little bit. You don't need the map there because you've seen my Asia maps many times, and by now you're very skilled. But if if you're weak in your geography, perhaps you're just here for the first time, it's okay. So that's where I began. Uh, China, um, actually the number three city in China. My wife and I were both teaching. We had been there 22 years before, but it was a totally different city. Uh, Just stunning how much it changed, how efficient, how fast the Chinese can be. And If you know anything about world news, you would agree with me about that. Uh, What a beautiful city it is. Uh, It's not just the Chinese food and the friendship and the fellowship, uh, but it's being part of what God is doing. China, of course, is a huge nation with well over 1 billion people. Not only that, uh, there are kind of above-ground churches that are monitored and controlled a lot by the government, but there are well over 100 million people in the underground churches. I guess we're included there as well. What I mean by local slash foreign, in uh, different cities in China, we, our sister churches, are Chinese-speaking, of course, but there are also... Um, how would you say it? Uh, Well, typically English-speaking churches Uh, because after Mandarin or whatever Chinese dialect, English is the big one. So in the city where we just were, although we were doing our work with the Chinese side, there are 10 English-speaking groups as well. Uh, which, and many of them speak Chinese, but the, in China you have to all speak the same language. And if you just have a few people from other countries, you have to default to English. I was just so encouraged by what's going on and by the growth, and they send you uh, their greeting. This is just some of the uh, people from South China. We were supposed to have 400 at our meetings. We only had about 50. Well, actually we did have 400, let me explain. A few days before we flew, the police cracked down. There was some tip-off and they put pressure on those who rent the building to the church um, that, you know, they're not officially registered and they threatened them. Uh, So they lost their church building. And so what we had to do was use a bit of technology. We could squeeze about 50 people in and everyone else got it streamed, not video streamed, audio streamed, which is, it it worked, it worked, Uh, but it's not a popular thing in, in China. From there, I went to Myanmar, Uh, For those of you who are a bit of the older generation, it used to be called Burma, you'll remember that. uh, Significant place during World War II. Here's the capital, Napidaw, but I was in Yangon, which is like the commercial capital over 50 million people. Now, whereas Chinese, uh, China is an atheist, officially an atheist country, and most people there uh, don't believe in God at all, Myanmar is Buddhist. And not popular Buddhist like most Buddhist countries where you have, you can pray to Buddha and there are lots of gods. Uh, they hold to the original Buddhism, which is atheistic. Uh, I was encouraged because I asked the church there, how much have you grown? I was there three and a half years ago. They said, well, this year we, we grew 20%. I thought, yes, they're still preaching the word. Very encouraging. Not that it's all about numbers, but if there are no numbers, uh, you can't have a church. I took a picture. I realized uh, the, the, that's just the sisters. They do have men in the church as well. <laughs> plenty, <laughs> plenty of them in this amazing uh, Buddhist country. And maybe you'll get to visit uh, one day Myanmar. After a quick layover in Vietnam, I was in Singapore with my goal, Indonesia. Now, can you see Singapore? This is Malaysia, which, of course, is a different country. Singapore almost touches it. I mean, there's a bridge that connects them. And if you just take a ferry an hour to the south, uh, you're in Indonesia, which is a huge country. Now, you may have uh, heard about Indonesia in the news this morning with the three bomb blasts at the three churches in Surabaya. Last time I was in Indonesia, that's where, um, that's where uh, Vic, my wife and I spoke. I won't share too much about that because we have Charles Ham who uh, will have some news, and he'll update you in a few minutes <clears throat> on what happened this morning in Surabaya. When I say this morning, you say, was it very early? No, remember, they're like 13 hours dif- ahead of us. Is that the right number, Charles? Is it 13? Right, so for those guys, they've, I mean, church is over. Most of them are in bed right now. All right. Uh, but it was wonderful to be in Batam. They, we did a teaching weekend. This is just um, last weekend. And then on Sunday, uh, preaching. And that was a blast too. These are my main points if you want to make a note of it. There you go. And, uh, you know, it's just an incredible place uh, to, uh, to, to be in Indonesia. Asia is the largest continent. And as I wrap uh, up this kind of introductory section, just remember, it's not just the largest continent in land size, because it's not land size that means everything. It's the largest continent in terms of population. It's home to the vast majority of, the, of Buddhists and Muslims and Hindus and, and other people in the world. And it's a stronghold of state atheism, particularly in China. Uh, and while there's some signs of things being more open, the government's actually right now cracking down more and more. Uh, so that's a concern. I hope you'll pray about this. I hope you care about Asia. And now and again, supplement your knowledge. Maybe uh, go to a uh, BBC News or something and just learn something about uh, where the vast majority of humans are and the vast majority of your brothers and sisters will be as well. So now it's time to have a reflection. I didn't want, I didn't want to call it a sermon exactly. It's more like a reflection. How many of you know what that word means, that word in purple. I wasn't expecting a lot of hands to go up. (laughs) Some, okay. So that's Yochebed. Yochebed is the mother of Moses. So we're gonna uh, talk about her just a little bit. Before we do, some of you may think this is kind of a painful day. Should we really be singing songs to mama and, you know, talking about mothers when for many people it's a painful day? It's a day of, of, of reminders. I mean, actually, there are a lot of things you could say that I should probably say. Jesus and the Apostle Paul said that the ideal path, if possible, is not even to marry, which would mean not even having kids. Now, they said that this is a rare gift, but the first choice for a single is not to marry, not to become a mother or father. Matthew 19, 1 Corinthians 7. Second, there are many, I'm aware, who have situations in your family that are very painful. Children may have run away. There may be estrangement. We've experienced that. We are experiencing that. Uh, Your child may have died. It may have happened before birth. It may have happened after birth. Many of us, uh, myself included, our mothers are gone. They've been gone for a while. Some women would love to be mothers, but they're not. And this can be difficult as well. In most families, there's a significant level of pain surrounding family. Of course, the family is the most intimate group that we're ever part of, so that's where the greatest pleasures and the greatest pains naturally take place. But even with those qualifications, I think it's still appropriate to have a reflection on this great woman of God named Yochabed. You ready? Exodus 1 says, Pharaoh, then commanded all his people you must throw every son born to the hebrews into the nile but let every daughter live basically we're going to drown your babies unless they're girls now if you're new to the bible what's happened if you look at the verses before this The community of God's people in Egypt, which began quite small, uh, only around 70 men and families, has now uh, grown to be huge, and it's a threat. And as a result, uh, they've been enslaved, and uh, they still kept growing, even with the oppression. And so there's this decree. Imagine what it must have been like for the Hebrews, this reign of terror. I mean, you're pregnant. You're going to have a baby. And now the government wants you to throw the baby. You wants you to kill the baby in the Nile. The Nile is the river with crocodiles. And that would probably be the fate of your child if you obeyed the decree. Now, Jochebed did not obey the decree. Something else about her. Remember, she herself was born into slavery. She's technically... Born into slavery. I've met some people now and again whose parents were born as slaves, at least in this country. But she was born into slavery. And we also see that she has a very strong character. She has three children that we know of. There's Miriam, which is the eldest. She's a leader. The Bible says she was one of the three leaders who took God's people out of Egypt. It wasn't just Moses. It was Moses, his older brother Aaron, who was three years older, but as you know, that makes all the difference, even three, three, uh, three days could make all the difference, or three minutes. Um, and then you've got uh, Aaron, and you've got Miriam, and Miriam is the one who the Virgin Mary was named after. Her name isn't Mary in the Bible, it's Miriam. So she was named after this incredible character, strong character. Now, a man from the family of Levi married a Levite woman. And this is speaking of Moses' parents. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son, but when she saw that he was beautiful, probably that's what that word means, she hid him for three months. This is not about, you know, is your baby ugly or beautiful? We're all very subjective about that. So like, look at that, isn't that the cutest baby ever? Yeah, uh, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, if I was in the amphibian house at the zoo, I would say, yeah, it's the top most beautiful. I'm kidding. No, but when, when we come out, we're all wrinkled and covered with vernix, and it's, it's not always a beautiful sight, okay? But that's all right. It's all right. You have better days ahead. So it's been three months. They hide. She says, we hide. Now, why after three months? I think he was getting too big and too loud, and this endangered too many people. But she's not about to just kill him. It says that she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with asphalt and pitch, placed the child in it, set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile." Papyrus basket, that's made from reeds. And you've got this this word, actually, the Hebrew, it's teva, I looked it up in the Greek, same thing. It's the same word as Noah's Ark. So it's a miniature Ark. It's an ark in which God's people will be preserved through this horrible, horrible catastrophe. In this case, the decree to drown the children. And she makes it waterproof, okay? That's with the asphalt and the pitch. Uh, She doesn't want it to sink. She puts it in the reeds by the bank. And then look at this. His sister, now this is um, Miriam, stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Maybe it was too dangerous for Jochebed to do that. It it would be a bit too obvious. There's the baby, there's the mother. Sorry, you know the policy. But the sister is acting a little bit as a spy. All right? She's on watch. Pharaoh's daughter went down to bathe in the Nile while her servant girls walked along the riverbank. Seeing the basket among the reeds, She sent her slave girl to get it. Now, when she opened it, she saw a child, a little boy crying. Remember, this is a good looking little boy. And so she's taken in instantly. She doesn't really care about the politics or you know, what's his ethnicity. Is he not an Egyptian like us? She just, I mean, she's gone. She's been, she's destroyed. I mean, she loves, she falls in love with him immediately. She felt sorry. And she said, this is one of the Hebrew boys. Then his sister, Miriam, said to Pharaoh's daughter, and this is good thinking, whether it was her idea or her mom's. She says, shall I go and call a woman from the Hebrews to nurse the boy for you? Miriam sees that, that Pharaoh's daughter likes this baby, but of course you've got to feed a baby, right? And so, you know, maybe I can get one of the Hebrew women. Yeah, like one in particular. <laughs> Mama. <laughs> Go, Pharaoh's daughter told her. The girl went and called the boy's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse him for me and I'll pay your wages. So not only does she get her baby back for now, but she's going to get money. She's going to get paid what would be normally offered freely and thanklessly and wagelessly, right? <laughs> so the woman took the boy and nursed him. Wow. And when the child grew older, we read, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. That is, Moses is adopted into the royal family. This situation, it may ring a bell. It's kind of like Hannah didn't have a child. Uh, it's, it's, that was not the situation with Moses' mother. But she brought little Samuel, uh, made good her word after about two or three years, brought her to the tabernacle to Eli, and uh, gave him up. Of course, still stayed in touch and visited. But now Moses has two families. So what do we see about this wonderful woman, Jochebed? First, we see that she's faithful to God. We read in the New Testament, by faith, Moses, his parents, so it's not just Jochebed, it's also Amran, they hid him for three months after he was born because they could see he was no ordinary child. Interesting words again. And here's the point, they were not afraid of the king's edict. Would you be afraid if the government told you, you do this or we're sending some people, to your house, to knock on your door. She's faithful. And I'm sure that there was some fear of the government and what had gone on, because the the Pharaoh's not messing around, but there's a greater fear for God. And sometimes you have to evaluate, you have to balance things. They hid Moses, not just because they loved him, but because they had faith in God. They thought God will do something with this, which makes us ask about our own parental decisions. Are those decisions based on expediency or are they based on faith? Uh, So often, and I think because we get so tired, (laughs) we just make a decision out of tradition or just to, you know, we're in a kind of survival mode. Well yeah, there's a survival mode going on here too. But they act in faith. Secondly, we see this woman, Yochabet, is courageous to resist the world, even to resist the government when necessary, is something that God's people have often been required to do. And I'm certainly aware of that, I mean, in China, where you have to be really careful. I mean, who would have thought that, uh, well, I mean, where I was speaking is like one of the most open, liberal parts of the country, and even there, the police crack down. In Myanmar, it's Buddhist, but it's not so much pressure from Buddhism, it's more from the military is more from these strong men who love their power. Uh, In Indonesia, though there are many religions existing usually in harmony, it's by far the largest uh, Muslim country in the world. And that is an issue with your brothers and sisters. And this morning, I'm sure they got a very shocking reminder of that. But to be courageous, so often the policies of the world, government, society, are against God's principles. And in those cases, and in those cases only, We have a right to disobey. In fact, uh, we have an obligation to disobey. That's not the same as, well, you know, I didn't get enough of a tax return, so I'm gonna, you know, not declare some income. Or, you know, they spent 2% of the budget last year on that and I disapprove. No, that's not what we're talking about. Not at all. On that front, we need to be silent and submit. But when it goes against God's will, that's a very different thing. And thirdly and finally, she had her head screwed on. Jochebed was practical. She's a practical woman. I mean, she makes a reed basket. I mean, it'd be bad if she made the basket, but it wasn't waterproof. She put Moses in the Nile and it went, blah, 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 blah. you know, that would be bad. But she, she's, she's doing well. She's as careful building that as Noah was careful building the ark, I'm sure. She has her daughter keep watch. She's smart, but she's connected, and she ends up with her son. And eventually, of course, he goes into the royal family. You know, in this short account that we've read, God is not mentioned anywhere. It's kind of like the book of Esther. He's not mentioned, but he's everywhere. It's all about the fear of God who you're going to fear, who you're going to obey. Jochebed is an amazing example for God, for us, of someone who believed that God's work would triumph if He just put Him first. Sharing the words of a friend of mine, and he actually put this in our, the Houston Church's bulletin this morning. We underestimate the defining role of parents and certainly the role of moms. Faith demonstrated in parenting will impact families, influence culture, and reverberate for generations. In light of this, let's take time today to express thanks to mothers who helped to instill faith and conviction in each of our lives. And I hope that you won't forget her, Yochabed. But you will remember her for her courage, for her faith, and for her sense, her good sense. Well, just as we remember our mothers, Christians every Sunday have been asked by Jesus and the apostles to remember the Lord, to remember the Lord through the communion. I have only two thoughts that I think will help us with this before we pray. Yes, if we're supposed to remember our parents and honor our parents, like the fifth commandment is honor your father and your mother, and the fact that the mother is mentioned is very significant, just don't have time to flesh that out. But if we're to honor and remember our parents, how about the Lord? How about remembering God, remembering? Communion is with each other, obviously. Most obviously, communion is with each among, between us in this room. Secondly, it's a communion with God, but it's primarily at this lower horizontal level. But we also have a communion with God's people around the world. That is those, for example, in Indonesia, in Myanmar, and in China. And so let's pray before we have the bread and wine. Lord, we're truly uh, grateful to you. You let us come into the world, that a mother or somebody brought us up, and we received good things. And Lord, you adopted us into your family with a specific plan that we resemble you and your son, that we become more and more like the perfect Son of God, we realize this is different from our own families, the families we lead or our families of origin which are always mixed, always a mixture of pleasure, pain, good and bad. We thank you for your perfect plan and your perfect family. Help us to appreciate the communion we share with those around the world in Asia, the Middle East, the South Pacific, Europe. Africa, the Americas, the Caribbean. Also to remember, in a sense, our fellowship, at least a fellowship of the heart with those who have gone on before, your people like Yochabed and Moses, Miriam, Aaron. As we take the bread and wine into our mouths, remind us, Lord, how much we depend on you in that respect, it doesn't matter how old we are, we're helpless, we're dependent, like a baby. We pray in your Son. Amen.